0: Well, I am Clara Moranville. My husband and I pastor this church. We're so glad that you're here this morning. And today is a very novel day because today we are going to complete the book and series of Colossians. Yay! <laughs> That's been awesome. We started in April. I, I looked back. I thought it had been March, but it's actually, I started studying for it for March. But April is when we started the series. It's been a long haul. So I'm just going to do a little bit of reviewing here so we can all be caught up, and then we're going to press in to to finish it. Okay, so the book of Colossians was written by, this is question and answer time, Paul. Okay. He's an apostle. And uh, we learned that Colossians is situated about a 100 miles from Ephesus. Okay, and Ephesus and Colossians right now is the region that we call Turkey. All right. So Colossae was a cosmopolitan city with lots of ethical, cultural, religious, uh, racial diversity. It was very, very busy, different kind of place. The Apostle Paul spent about two and a half years in Ephesus, which again was 100 miles from Colossae. And while he was there, he did a lot of preaching and teaching in the synagogue and in the lecture hall there. And he was so good at it that In Acts, it says this comment, Acts 19.10. This went on, his preaching, for two years, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, Paul had a lot of uh, co-workers with him when he was working in Ephesus, and there particularly was a guy named Epaphras. And it's it's believed that Paul probably led him to Christ early on in his ministry in Ephesus. And he mentions Epaphras at the beginning of the letter and again at the end. And so what what happens in uh, Ephesus is Epaphras gets saved, and then he goes back to his hometown, Colossae, and plants a church. So about five years later, this is now 60 AD, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. And he's waiting to have his case heard by the um, emperor of Rome. And while he's in Rome, he's in imprisonment, but it's more like what's called house arrest, where you can have guests come and visit him and even stay with him. So it's a little bit different than we think of uh, a prisoner where there's a lot of restrictions and, you know, signing in, thumbprints and all that kind of stuff. But one of the people that comes to visit Paul is Epaphras. And Epaphras, being the church planner that he was, is telling, unloading with Paul for counsel and comfort and encouragement, like what do I do with these folks, you know. So he's telling these things to Paul and that conversation is what gets Paul to decide to write this letter to the Colossians. So about 60, 61 A.D., Paul writes the letter from Rome from himself. And he's going to address some false philosophies and teaching about Christ that were not true and um, that was being circulated among the believers. The false teachings, one of the things they taught was kind of this elitism. You know, you're in the know, you're not in the know spiritually. Another part of the false teaching was this kind of pride, super spiritual pridefulness, like I really... And better than you because I can do this and that. Also, it's a bit legalistic, what was going on in the Colossians. Sure, a lot of rules and regulations going on. And it drove them to the place where they were focused more on themselves and their ability to get things done. Very self-reliant, very performance-oriented kind of a church. And so they focused on their own strengths versus what Paul was teaching in grace, which is the empowering presence of God. Okay, so Paul's addressing this. So anytime you experience elitism in your Christian walk or self-reliance or performance-orientation kind of religion, Colossians has a lot of relevancy for us. So Paul, what he does is he combats what they're thinking with a different worldview. We talk about lenses, glasses we put on by which we see world, and his framework is can combat any philosophy, decision, argument, question we might have in our life. And he gives the Colossians these pair of of eyeglasses so that we can ask questions like, should I buy that more expensive car? Should I get back with my ex-boyfriend? More importantly, why was I made? And what's the purpose in my life? This is part of the worldview that Paul gives the Colossians. He helps us to become more Christianly. I don't know if that's a word. But basically that, what he does 21 centuries later... We can live a more Christianly life after reading Colossians. So he invites us in this letter: take off the glasses you guys have been wearing. Colossians, you guys have been wearing the vineyard that's been handed down to you. Okay, by the way you were raised, your culture, your tradition, maybe by some really nice people. Let's take them off and let's put this pair of worldview glasses that I want you to have, so you can approach life with Christ being the center, sufficient. Right? In everything, not just in your community groups, not just when you pray, not just at church, but in every part of our life our successes, our defeats, our troubles, our crises, our relational difficulties, loss of a job, no job. You know, whatever it is that you're experiencing in life, put these worldview glasses on and view it with this in mind. All right, now, and then he teaches, this is just a wrap-up of what we've been learning. Then he teaches us, okay, the way you're going to do this, put these glasses, and then do what you're seeing is by having grace, the empowering presence of God to help you to live in that realm that he describes in Colossians. Okay, that's the intro, so now we're going to pray. Well, Lord, um, I really am so thankful for your help in us learning about Colossians and just the impact it's had in our personal lives and as a corporate church. It's been awesome, Lord. I I feel like you've situated us to a whole other realm, place, to move and grow in being like your son, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask for you to empower us this morning to listen to your word. You empower me, Father, to walk in the measure of grace you've given to me this morning And to help us, Father, become all that you want us to be and to be able to do all you've called us to do. Lord, I pray your blessing on our guests, particularly, Lord, who, um, for whatever reason, they landed here at the vineyard. I pray, Father, that you would say, this was a good choice. I want to speak to you this morning and minister to that need. And, Father, for those who are in difficulty in their home personal life, Father, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would... Comfort them, encourage them, and build them up. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, when I was a little girl, one of my favorite places to go was um, Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California. Okay, about 1912, a man named Dr. Hubert Eaton had this innovative idea to eliminate upright grave markers that typically are used for cemeteries. And instead create these grounds that are just beautiful that reflect his personal belief on the joyous life after death. So when you visit Forest Lawn, it's a cemetery, but you would never know going into that place. I mean, why would a little girl like going there? Instead of gloomy, death feeling of a typical cemetery, the grounds have towering trees, sweeping lawns, splashing fountains, amazing statues, and architecture. Now, it wasn't until I got married and my husband started traveling, Taking me to places in the south that I began to see a more typical cemetery with grave, you know, grave uh, tombs and epitaphs. Up to that point, I thought cemeteries looked like the forest lawns that I saw in, in Hollywood and in Glendale, California. So, what I thought I would do is look up some fun epitaphs, folks, what they put on their tombstones. And I got six of them I wanted to share with you this morning. The first one is Here Lies Johnny yeast. Pardon me for not rising. (laughs) That's cute. Okay, Uniontown, Pennsylvania, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. (laughs) In Georgia, the cemetery says, I told you I was sick. (laughs) You might have a relative that's telling you they're dying, they're dying, they're dying. In their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah. Okay, John Penny's epitaph in Wilburn, England reads, Reader, if cast thou art in want of any, dig four feet deep, and thou will find a penny. Okay. Uh, it didn't get? Oh, that's too bad. It was there. It was there. It flashed. You know what it was? I Yeah, that's my fault, probably. Someone in Winslow, Maine, didn't like Mr. Wood, and they wrote, In Memory of Belza Wood departed this life in November 2nd, 1837, age 45. Here lies one wood enclosed in wood, one wood within another. The outer wood is very good. We cannot praise the other. (laughs) They didn't like that guy. Okay, a cemetery in England says, Remember, man, as you walk by, as you are now, so so once was I. As I am now, so shall you be. Remember this and follow me. So someone replied by writing on his tombstone, to follow you I'll not consent until I know which way you went. (laughs) Good idea. Okay, so you ever thought about what you would like to write on your epitaph? What would you want to be remembered by? Now, you know, you're dead. So you don't know what they're going to write. They're going to write it for you. Unless you are one of those wise people that says, okay, I'm going to buy it. Before I die, and this is what I want them to remember me by, right? So for just a few seconds, I'm going to give you this opportunity to do this at the end of the service too. I want you to think about the question, what would I want to be re- remembered for? What would I write on my epitaph? And as we look at the closing remarks of Mark in this letter to Colossians, he's going to mention 11 friends of his. And for some of those folks, we don't know anything else other than what Paul wrote in that, those closing remarks. Some we can investigate scripture and piecemeal a, a storyline to see who they are. But some of them, what he wrote is their epitaph. So we're going to look at those last few verses about those 11 people this morning. So we're going to do Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. is really long. So I think what I'm going to do is ask some friends to come up here to read for me. So Kevin, you come up. Esther, you come up, and Donna. Okay? You're going to read from uh, my little notes here. Who wants to be first? Okay, Donna. How about you read until... Right here. Okay. Starting here? Yeah. Ticamus will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus. Onesimus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. And you're going to read from this guy, even though she's already done that. And then how about you read till here? Okay. Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are the only ones of the circumcision among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they may have been a comfort, and they have been a comfort to me. Uh, Esther, you got the longest one. Go for it. I guess they're to the end. pephras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nymphia and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, thank you. Now the folks, yeah, they did great. I nice like hear other people's voices. The folks would have heard this letter for the first time this way. It would have been spoken. They wouldn't have all read the letter like we get to do. So you get kind of a sense of the oral tradition. Okay, because Paul was under house arrest, he was allowed visitors. Okay, so uh, it talks here about, oh, some were visitors and some were residents. They were in chain with him. Okay, Aristocrats is one of those guys. He's in chain. It says here, um, Tychius, mentioned here in Colossae, is also mentioned in the book of Ephesus, Titus, Acts, and Timothy. Tychius was someone Paul could trust to represent him. So if Paul wanted to go somewhere, but he couldn't, like he's in chains, Tychius is the guy he would send, because he did a good job of representing Paul's heart. You know, And sometimes we do that because we can't be there, but sometimes we do that because, you know what, it would be better for them to hear it from somebody else than from me. Right? So Paul's smart. And Tychius was that kind of guy. He was faithful to Paul and was there for Paul a lot. He's going to read a couple of verses that refer to him. Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. That's Ephesus, uh, Ephesians excuse me, 6.21. Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Colossians 4, seven. Okay, next we're going to meet Anissimus. Anissimus is a slave. Paul has a very interesting crowd of friends. And Anissimus apparently got saved under Paul's ministry. That's pretty much what most people think. And so Paul's writing this letter because he's going to send Anissimus back to his master, Philemon. So he's going to write a letter explaining what's going on with Anissimus and also basically asking for mercy. So when he sends the letter Colossi, he sends Tychius and Anisimus with that letter plus another letter signed to Philemon. Okay, and so now the name Anisimus means useful. And so Paul plays with it because he talks about how he once was the useless slave and now he's useful for the kingdom of God. And Paul does that a lot. Okay, you know, he probably would have fun with my name, Clara, which means clear. She doesn't speak very clearly, but she can clearly sometimes by the Holy Spirit do it. You know what I mean? It's kind (laughs) of, it's interesting. Okay, anyway, I'm appealing to you, my child. This is from Philemon chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. Here's Paul's writing to Philemon. I'm appealing to you, my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, that is, my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place, meaning you're not here, during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your good deed might be voluntary. I think manipulation was part of the culture. <laughs> I feel a little manipulated, but you know it must have been a cultural thing, and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he has separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Okay, now Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now Aristarchus is mentioned here as a fellow prisoner and he literally was in chains. Okay, this is not any picture of him. This is truly his position. And it's because I consider him in chains because he's an innocent bystander. Seriously, if I were going to write a script about Aristocrats, it would be a comedy. Because as you see what he went through, he went through some amazing highs, some amazing lows, and he always seemed to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it was always Paul's fault. (laughs) He would be the comic relief of the script. Aristarchus was with Paul in his missionary journey, and it included the following. In Ephesus, Paul finds some believers that know nothing about the Holy Spirit. Paul walks in. You don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, but you have Jesus. Okay, well, bam. He prays on them. The Holy Spirit comes, and they start praying in tongues. Aristarchus sees that. That's cool. I'm in. And then he sees Paul preaching and arguing in the folks in uh, the synagogue of Ephesus. Three months, he gets kicked out. Okay, no big deal. So then for the next two years, he teaches in the lecture hall in Tyranius. And there he's teaching to folks. And that's that verse that we talked about later. This is all from chapter 19. And then Aristarchus sees some amazing miracles. Okay? He sees literally when Paul touches handkerchiefs or aprons, and those handkerchiefs and aprons then touch the skin of people who were sick, they were instantly healed. You know, if you heard that story As a 21st century Christian, would you believe it? People actually had demons come out of them when they touched a handkerchief that had been touched by Paul. And Aristarchus sees this. Wow, I'm really in. Okay, he's pretty excited about this. Then he saw folks who were into witchcraft big time burn their books. Wow. This is getting better every day. Then they get to Macedonia and a riot breaks out. And Aristarchus is one of the guys who gets dragged into the theater to be clubbed while the the disciples are trying to get, Paul, get out of here, get out of here. And there he is in the midst of, thanks a lot, Paul. It's just one of those pictures. Let's look at Acts 19.29. The city was filled with confusion and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. I didn't do it! Honest! (laughs) After the uproar ceases, Paul leaves with Aristarchus, and they go away. Here's where they go. Acts 20. Where he stayed for three months, he was about to set sails for Syria when a plot was made against him by the Jews. Here we go again. And so he decided to return through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of, wow, Pyrrhus from Peoria, by Aristarchus, there he is, and Secundus from Thessalonica by Gaius from Derby and by Timothy, as well as by Tychius, there he is again, and Trophimus from Asia. Next, he gets to see Paul raise somebody from the dead. Okay, Paul's preaching. He's a bit long-winded. It's a two-story house. This kid sitting on the ledge of the window is hot. He's getting sleepy. He falls asleep, and he falls off of the window. He's dead. They go, and they say in the scripture, he is dead. Imagine how the hostess felt. And you write how Aristarch felt. Great. I'm out of here. Paul goes with there, lays hands on the kid, and brings him back to, to the Lord, and he keeps preaching. Really has their attention now. Paul gets into a lot of trouble. He gets arrested. He heads to Rome. Acts 27 says, when it was decided that we were to sail for Italy they transferred Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of Augustan cohort named Julius. Embarking on a ship of Andromictulus that was about to sell sail, set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristocrats, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Okay, now this trip includes some very interesting stops and sightseeing adventures. Okay, storms. Shipwrecks, bitten by a viper, called to God, healed the father of the island, loved and spoiled by the landowner of the island. What a ride. If I were to describe the mood swings that maybe Aristocrats had, I would say he was a maniac. Whee! Oh, my God. Whee! You know, that's that's what it would look like. And, you know, when you're in a friendship that has the wee and the and you stick it out, and you're there for them, those friendships are for life, right? I mean, Randy and I and our family have experienced some incredible friendships that have gone through us through some really hard times. They've been there for us. They're people that we trust, and they're people that you can trust. Now, tradition has it that Aristarchus eventually was martyred shortly after Jesus was by King Nero. Uh, excuse me, Paul. Paul was martyred, and Aristarchus was also martyred shortly after Paul was martyred. So he was a friend to the end. Okay, let's look at the next guy. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Mark, we actually know a lot about Mark. Okay, Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. And there's this guy that he refers to that he doesn't give a name. And the scholars pretty much say, that's Mark. He's putting himself in the gospel without putting his name. And what it was is when Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, there's a kid that's hanging out, and they assume he's part of the gang. So they go to grab him to capture him, and he takes off, and in taking off, he lets go of his cloak, and he's naked, and he's running out naked, okay? You can look that up in the Gospel of Mark. That's Mark, Okay? So he's in there. He was pretty excited, I think, but didn't want to put his name because, I mean, how many people do you want to know you're running around naked? (laughs) Okay, Mark's mother, um, there was a prayer meeting in this house. This is a different mother, Mary. It's a Mary, but not the same Mary as Mary of Jesus or Mary Magdalene. But anyway, Mary had a house and there's a group of people having a prayer meeting there for Peter to get out of prison. That is Mark's mom. His cousin is Barnabas. A lot said about Barnabas. And at one point, Barnabas and Mark go on the first missionary journey with Paul. And they go on that trip, and somewhere along the trip, Mark doesn't like it anymore, probably the aristocrat syndrome. <laughs> not into this, he abandons ships, goes back home, and does not complete the missionary trip with them. And Paul is hurt by it. He feels deserted. So much so that later on, when they're going to do another missionary trip, and Barnabas says, hey, let's bring my cousin Mark. Paul says, "No way he's not coming with us let's look at mark uh, acts fifteen and it recounts this situation after some time. Paul says to Barnabas, Come let's return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the Word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take them john I'm sorry Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and went somewhere else. It was a heated conversation. did not end well. You've had those with friends, right? Now, although we don't know when it happened, we do know that about 12 years later, Paul and Mark are reconciled. Because Paul in 2 Timothy says, hey, would you please bring with you Mark? He's of service to me. In Colossians, Paul says about Mark, the passage that we're studying today, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Basically what Paul's saying, no matter what you've heard about Mark, whether it was good or bad, just ignore that because we've made it up. We're friends. And I want you to receive him like a friend. Okay, now there's another guy named Jesus who is called Justice, and this is the only reference we have of this particular Justice. There's other Justice, but they're not tagged onto his other name, Jesus. And what we know about him is he's a Jew, he was circumcised, and he's one of three Jews that did not abandon Paul when he was in prison. Now as a side note, I don't think Paul checked out if guys were circumcised or not. I think it was more of the way they lived. Okay? their manners, the way they dressed, the way they ate, as to whether or not they were considered circumcised or not circumcised. But it was a big issue for Paul for a variety of reasons um, that we're not going to talk about right now. There were theological reasons. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always wrestling in prayer on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him, that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. So Epaphras is one of the Colossians, most likely the church planner. He was a prayer warrior. And in Philemon, he's referred to as fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Now, he was the guy who had ability to go in and out and represent Paul. So this phrase, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, was not a literal prisoner like Aristocrats. It was more like this guy has surrendered his will, his whole being, to do whatever God wants. And so that's why he's a fellow prisoner to Christ Jesus. Okay, now Luke, the beloved physician. Not much is said about him even though he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's a doctor. He did go on missionary travels with Paul and documented things. And he wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke. But we do know that he was faithful to Paul and at times stuck with him when nobody else did. 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, the same Mark we've been talking about, and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now there's another guy named Demas who's just mentioned here. This is just his name, Demas, is like one of the other people in Colossians. But later on we read that this guy abandons his life of following Christ because he gets hooked onto the things of the world. 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Then there's Nympha and the church in her house. This is the only female mentioned. She's mentioned clearly as a church meets in her house at at the least. And Paul uses this phrase in Romans and in Corinthians and in um, Philemon, where he talks about the church that meets at your house. And uh, a lot of times that was in reference that if it met in your house, you were the key leader. Now, theologians will have, well, she's a female, so therefore she couldn't have been the leader of the church. But, yeah, clearly, for Lehman or other places, yeah, they were the leaders of the church. So it's kind of mm, bad logic. But if you go back to Colossians chapter 3, when we were, studied that section, it was probably a couple of my better teachings. Uh <laughs> You can go back there and listen again to the whole reference about women in the ministry and how the vineyard and how our church feels about that and how we practice that. Okay, Archippus, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. Now, Archippus is mentioned only one other time, and that's in the letter of Philemon. And there he's described as a fellow soldier. Okay, we went through this. This is nice. Thank you, Claire, for the historical update on these 11 folks Thank you very much, we can go now. <laughs> so why did I do that? What can we glean from understanding these folks? You know, Paul had a diverse band of friends. They were very unusual. Different religious backgrounds, education, financial status, different genders. And Paul includes them in his final words uh, for a reason. Now, let's just, you all, Tell me, from what I told you, see how well you're listening and you remember. What kinds of uh, occupations did the people have? You're the doctor, okay? A soldier, okay? A teacher, a prisoner, missionary, pastor. Did anybody say prisoner? Yes, okay. Okay, what about nationalities? Macedonians? Jews? What? Asian? What? Talk up. Greek. Okay, what about religious backgrounds? Yeah. Okay. Uh, gender? Male, well, female, okay. So, Paul, <laughs> it's only two. Praise God. <laughs> so we're seeing are you starting to see this Paul and his community of people very different very different that is what the community, the church is to look like okay we're to look like this because this is the kind of heart that God has it's a heart for the nations I started thinking about our church so let's just talk about our church what kinds of jobs do people in our church have Educators, doctors, pilot, teacher, soldiers, moms, pastors, what? Executives, therapists, what? Accountants, secretaries, nurses, surgeons. Sales clerks, students, (laughs) financial somethings, future financial somethings. Do we have any unemployed people here? Yes. I mean, we have some folks that if people didn't take them in, they would be probably street people, right? Okay. Okay, let's talk about um, nationalities. Panamanian. Panamanian. (laughs) Texans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're from Ohio, it really does feel like that. When you come here, it's like, whoop, Texans. California feels the same way. Yeah, what else? We Do you know we have Cubans? Venezuelans? Venezuelans? Thai, Chinese? Taiwanese? Okay. Alrighty. We have stay-at-home moms, working moms, single moms, blended families. We have divorcees. We have families that homeschool and families that don't, families that have home births and families that don't have home births. We have people over 60 in pastoral leadership and people under 17 that have pastoral leadership. We are a very unique group socially, academically, ethnically, economically. Very unique. It's it's God's heart for us to welcome men and women that are different than we are. And when our church continues to grow in this and begin to reflect God's heart for the nations, it's going to be awesome. Now, every single time we actively reach out to somebody who's different than us, we are expressing this part of God's heart. When we pray for them, when we care for them, when we invite them to our home, we're reflecting the Father's wishes. When we invest financially or participate in overseas missions, we're expressing God's heart. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35. You know, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, so he gets a, he gets a, what's a, face I said the other day, oh my gosh, I get it, right? Peter gets an oh my gosh, I get it when he gets filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 10. And this is what he says. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Oh, Peter, praise God. But accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Now, some of us have had this understanding for a long time. Some of us are becoming more aware of opportunity God is giving us next door, across the street, at work, at school, at the library. Now, we may have the theology for this practice, but some of us are lacking in the practice of the practice. Okay, me, for example. I think it was about a year ago, and I think it was about a year ago because I think I remember getting a box of cookies from our regional pastor then when we had this conversation. I meet once a month. Well, I'm supposed to meet once a month, but I go about every three months. They have this area pastor thing for Texas Vineyard, right? New Braunfels, Corpus Christi, Temple, San Antonio, Austin, blah, 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 Victoria. Okay, we come together and we meet at a city called Buddha, Cracker Barrel. Yeah. And the guys were talking about these books. Okay, a year ago, uh, guys, do you remember where I was a year ago? A year ago, I am coming to the end of I'm seeing. I'm coming to the end of homeschooling 25 years. I got one more year, right? And I'm coming into this transition of pastoring the church more and more. So a year ago, I was surviving, and these guys are talking about these books, blah blah blah. blah. I'm like, okay, that was a waste. That's why I didn't go so often because it was just went over my head. It wasn't where I was. And they were circulating these books, one called Muslims, Christians, and Jesus. And another one was called The Camel. Well, The Camel sounded a little bit more interesting, so I did put that on my post, my wish post. Year went by, nobody got it. I deleted it. No one got it from me. I don't know why I didn't buy it, okay? So, anyway, they're in that realm. But then... I meet somebody who's actually a Muslim that I have fallen in love with her and her family who's across the street at Atlantic Rowell. All of a sudden, those books are really important to me. Okay, So I can say I have the theology, but the practice, not so much. So I think we have the theology. And so this year, when we go into our 40-day fast, and we're seeking God for the grace, the measure of his grace by the gift of Christ Jesus that he has given us, and we're seeking his will and seeking his call for our life, I want you to think about the nations. And how does he want you to express his father's heart for the nations? Okay? That's one of the things that you're going to be seeking out during that time. And we see that Paul gets it. He's coming to the end of his life there in the 60s. Not his 60s, but the 60 A.D. He's facing a trial. He eventually is crucified. And he got it. By looking at his letter, he got it, right? These are his friends. These are people he's invested himself in. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What making disciples looks like for you is going to look different, right? The grace, the measure that God has given to you is going to look different than what mine looks like. But seek the Father when we start our fast in January, for the call that he's given to you. Because the call is the same as far as we're to love Christ, love his church, and love his cause. That's the same. How we express those are going to be different. Okay. And then Paul, love Paul, his final words in this letter. It's the most powerful greeting he could give them. is the most powerful message he could give to them. And this is what he says. Grace be with you. Those words mean a lot more to us now, don't they? May the empowering presence of God be in you to be what he's called you to be. And to do what he has asked you to do. That's awesome. Okay. So, at the beginning of the sermon we talked about what would you write? want to be remembered for or what would you put on your epitaph? I'm just going to give some time to quietness because you know what? That may be 20 years from now, 40 years from now for some of y'all. Okay? So you've got some time if the Lord tarries or if the Lord gives you those years, right? You have some time to say, okay, well, I have blown it up to now, but what would I like 20 years, 40 years, 60 years from now? Okay, so I'm just going to be quiet And just see if the Holy Spirit just doesn't start speaking to you. Well, you know, this is a big question. And you're like, well, she just gave me 45 minutes to think about it. I mean, really. That's not enough time. I need more time. I'm figuring it out. But for some of you, there's something stirring there already. Like there's something there. It's, you can't quite, don't have all the eloquent words yet, but it's there. Okay? That something, God deposited that something in you. He gave you that desire. And so he wants to empower you. Now, for many of us, maybe we don't know yet. Uh, I'm too green with this Christian stuff. I'm new to this whole thing. I don't know how to formulate it. You tell me, Clara, right? You don't know. Your life and your past was such a wreck. You're like, how can I just get out of this pile of wreckness to think about anything better? So wherever you are, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to meet you in this fast. He's going to set you free. He's going to clarify or he's going to confirm. I really believe that. So this is a call, church, be praying about preparing for the fast. It starts on January the 24th. We're going to talk about fasting and praying the Sunday before, so that you get some equipping and understanding why and how, okay, but be praying about it, be praying about praying, and preparing, so that the Holy Spirit will come and speak to you clearly his will, and his design for you, okay okay, now, I'd like you all to stand because for wherever you are, if you already know what God has put deposited in your heart, I want to bless that if you're in the process of figuring it out I want to bless that Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much that you have a design for each one of us. I've been uniquely made. Why don't we all say that together? I have been uniquely made and called for God's purposes. So, Lord, as you have uniquely called them, and you uniquely made them and designed them for your purposes, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with joy when they walk in it. They, They can't sleep at night because of thinking about it. And, Lord, that you would bring all the steps, bit by bit, that they need to get there and to live in that realm. Father, for those who are more mature in their understanding of who they are, who they be, Father, I pray that you would empower them in greater measure, in that place. Father, you would give them signs and wonders confirming, this is what I'm doing, son. This is what I'm doing, daughter. And Father, I pray you would expand their vision to include even more than they're capable right now so they can prepare themselves for the future. Father, I pray for those who, I got a sense it's kind of something like this, but I'm not really sure. Father, I pray that you would empower them through this fast with understanding of what you're doing and give them great courage in the unknown. Father, for those who have um, just wrecked and ruined their life or feel like they've wrecked and ruined their life and that, you know, how do I just even get out of bed in the morning and go out the front door is a major activity in my life. Father, I pray that you would set them free from that um, wandering, and place their face on the promise of your son Jesus, being real to them and empowering them today. And Father, I pray that you give them great joy and just being obedient in the little things that you show them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you, you can see it because we're almost done. Um. This is basically the last sermon you're going to hear from me this year because next Sunday we're going to do a little devotional, a very special Christmas service, okay? It's going to be nice. If you want to come, don't miss it. It'll be nice. And we'll have a little short teaching but nothing really long. And then the, December the 26th, we're not meeting, right? And then on January, the first Sunday in January, we're going to have VG, the founder and director of Little Flock, come and speak. You will not want to miss her. You can miss December the 26th, but do not miss Fiji. You all can play hooky on the 26th. Um, No, I'm kidding. You still be church on the 26th and the 27th. But anyway, she's going to come and speak, and it's going to be life transforming. She's a powerful woman. She's Indian by birth, a Hindu by her past, and now a believer. Awesome. So come to that. So it's going to be a while since you hear me teach, right? you get a nice break? I get a nice break. But he is going to be working. He is going to be working in you. Okay? So be watchful for his working and his leading and his empowering. Okay? All right. Now, are there any words that the body, y'all, feel led to share this morning from the teaching or from some insight you felt as you were praying about the service this morning? You felt like this is important to share with the body? Yes. person Jesus, who they Jesus after Jesus common name at the It was a very common name. Like Mary. Mary is a very common name. Joseph was another common name. Yeah, it was a common name. But is is meaning means savior. Yes. That's cool. I have trouble meeting talking to people whose name are Jesus. I really do. Yeah, Jesus is cool because, you know, I live in America. Yes, ma'am. A new economy and a new shift. A new economy and a new shift. Amen to that. Good word. Okay. Anything else? Do you guys like the book of Colossians? Did it kill it for you or did it come alive? <laughs> uh, good. Good. All righty. I think when we started the series, I recommended that you guys read Colossians. Um, you know, Where we're headed, because of the fast, the theme is hearing the voice of God and knowing his will. So it's going to be a little more topical. It's not going to be like we normally do it, okay? Um, Because we're going to be targeting seeing that in scripture and how it applies to our lives, a lot of application. So, but once we're done with that, we're going to be headed probably, Lord willing, to Hebrews. Yeah. Okay. All right. If you have a need for prayer, crises in your marriage, crises at work, crises in yourself, <laughs> if you need some healing or you're concerned for someone that's very dear to you and you would like some prayer support, then I'd like you to raise your hand and we'll have folks come alongside to where you are and pray for you. Anybody? You don't have to say what it is right now. So, Okay, one gal over there, one over there, three over there. Okay. Right here with Michelle, I would de- uh, just want to be um, very sensitive whoever goes to pray for Michelle um, that they would be females. Okay. And uh, Dan Euster would like some prayer. Randy, uh, Randy Randy, Kevin, you see this gentleman with the, they all have glasses, but it's the one with the white shirt would like some prayer. Uh, the Applegates had their hands up for prayer. Uh, raise your hand again so people can see if you guys could pray for them. And then Benjamin and the sound booth. You see him? He needs some prayer. Benjamin, can you step down? <laughs> David, do you know how to put some music when time comes? Benjamin, how about you hang out over here? Because there's nobody in this side that's saying they need prayer. Okay, now, okay, those folks who need prayer, just stand, just you guys. I want to make sure they're well supported. Okay, and if you want to pray for these folks, please do. If you're a guest, we'd be more than happy to allow you to be there as part of the prayer time. And if you feel some leading, just go ahead. There's some good leaders praying for them. Okay. All right. And then the Lord bless you. You have a great week.